Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. Volunteers. Written by Radius 55. It was an awe-inspiring sight if one had the senses capable of displaying it all. Ships from 27 different species were arrayed in formation a few light years from an ill-defined edge of the spiral arm they all had called home. Many of those craft would have cheerfully blown others out of the black. The fact that none had fired was a testament to just how grave the threat they faced. That threat was moving towards them at interstellar equivalent of a slow crawl, just a few times the speed of light. It consisted of over 700 massive battle globes, ranging in size from large asteroids to small moons, and each simply bristled with weaponry. What they called themselves was a mystery. The exploration ships that had discovered them almost 80 years prior couldn't answer. They had reduced to a fine metallic vapor before even transmitting a greeting, nor had any of the 14 subsequent forces, each more powerful than the previous, been able to discover anything more than the craft were all armed and nearly indestructible. Examination of a few star systems the fleet passed through an interstellar desert between galactic arms only revealed they stripped any system they passed through of any usable materials. In the end, most races settled on calling their enemy locusts after the insect found on a deadly homeworld of a recently elevated race. In fact, of the 27 races building starships, five had been elevated 30 years prior to provide additional crew for the production facilities for the fleet. It showed just how desperate the collective species were that they would break their long-standing rule of avoiding contact until the species discovered FTL travel. But, they reasoned, what's the point if the race preserving their culture, only to have it burned to dust rather than at least giving a chance to defend themselves? Besides, they might be useful in the battle. Not that there's much of a chance of success, even with the savage uplifts, thought Grand Admiral Tusik of the Verlian Navy, and Grand Admiral was right to be worried. Against even the smallest battle globes of Locust's field, he would need at least four super dreadnoughts to achieve parity, and while 1,200 of the craft were under his command, the enemy had at least 700 ships, many of which would take even more firepower to destroy. Still, this was their final chance to stop the oncoming horde. Once the locusts arrived in the spiral arm proper, they would have access to a network of ley lines connecting star systems. With an FDL method no longer hindered by the massive size, the fleet would spread out like wildfire. The most optimistic models gave a mere 50 years between the fleet arriving in the arm and the last civilization being extinguished. Still... It appeared to be a pointless battle. Sure, they might buy a few years for the civilians, but it wouldn't matter to most. In fact, 
The Grand Admiral had heard rumors that some sort of these ships were planning on making a run for the next spiral arm over as soon as they thought that they could disengage without their own side shooting them as deserters. A few might even make it. Not that I can really blame them, Dusik said to himself. Though normally a member of the military, the Grand Admiral belonged to a largely peaceful race. He had argued strenuously that the budget spent on new weapons be instead diverted to evacuation transports in order to save as many as possible. But he had been overruled, and though peaceful, his race made excellent strategists. Sir, a rating said, the locust fleet appears to be slowing for the next exit from hyperspace. We'll be seeing them in Vanguard any moment. I see that, son, the Admiral replied. The hatchling looked nervous. Well, so was he, but there was nothing to do about that but push the fear of imminent death out of his mind. I believe it is time to sound the battle stations. Captain, make it so. Communications, please alert the rest of the force to do likewise. Space ahead of them soon burst in a riot of color as the ships the size of small moons began to tear their way out of hyperspace. Already, tens of thousands of fighters moved to engage. Following, in their wake were more thousands of escort ships, dreadnoughts, and super dreadnoughts. To the naked eye, all that was visible were bright flashes as a directed energy weapon struck its target or a missile found its mark. Then, there was more bursts of coalition ships lost reactor containment and transformed into short-lived stars. Grand Admiral Turek's command ship was simply too far away to see fighters evaporating without substantial enhancement. If only they didn't have the gods' forsaken shields, he muttered to himself between passing orders. The major anti-shipping warhead in this section of space had been the matter conversion bomb for the past several centuries. It worked by producing a shield approximately 20 meters in diameter that caused any matter to be transformed into a burst of electromagnetic energy. Without even the waste neutrinos one usually got from matter-antimatter annihilation. If one of those bombs detonated on contact with the ship's hull, the total output could generate an order of a petaton detonation. The locusts had their own answer to the matter conversion bomb. For the outer kilometer or so of armor, their ships projected a QS, or quantum stabilization field. Apart from making basic steel nearly as strong as the top-of-the-line refractory armor, it nullified a matter conversion effect. This, in turn, reduced the primary weapon of the defenders to 200 gigatons or so, reduced converting itself and the missile body into hardened radiation. Worse, the QS field was a technologically coalition forces did not share. This was apparent as the entire super dreadnought flotilla had its external shields overwhelmed by directed energy fire, then annihilated with a series of matter converters. Lesser ships didn't even rate that much, being swatted aside with the heavy gamma ray lasers. Clouds of fighters were contemptuously ignored except for the odd hit from the mis-aimed shot or the anti-missile laser that would have qualified the cruiser's main gun. It was only 40 minutes into the battle, and over a quarter of the Grand Admiral Tusik's forces had been destroyed at the cost of a mere 20 battle globes. He was just turning from ordering a dozen dreadnoughts to engage a locust ship when more closely, when a craft near the rear of the enemy formation winked out of existence. What the... 
Census, what happened to Tango Bravo 44? The Admiral asked. I'm not sure, sir, the tech responded after a moment, playing back the logs, uh... I don't really know. One second, it was fine. Next, it was gone in a petaton yield detonation. The crewman sent a video to the Admiral, and he had been transmitting from the censored drone. It showed a battle globe not yet caught up in the general melee suddenly pop like a soap bottle in actinic fire. Definitely a subsurface detonation, maybe a reactor breach, the tech guessed. Maybe, Tussock replied. At least that's one less of the eggless bastards to deal with which was when another target disappeared from the board. A minute later, a third joined the first two in a spectacular and mysterious death. Then, as if a floodgate had been opened, the globes began to pop as if they were balloons in the path of a hatchling with a needle. Within fifteen minutes, the detonations tapered off, and all that was left was the once mighty locust fleet with seventy of its smaller battle globes. It took another hour and two hundred capital ships, but the locust fleet had been destroyed to the last craft. But the question remained, how? I can answer that. A translated voice came over the net in a post-battle conference. The computers identified it as Admiral Moore of the Terran Space Navy, which is odd considering the humans were one of the species uplifted to fight the locust horde. An admiral of the Truffrust Naval Forces voiced the group's incredulity. Admiral, the avian analog started, skeptically. You have, what, twenty capital ships? And an affirmative response from the human representative, they continued. And you expect us to believe that you were able to destroy every one of the locust vessels with them? No, of course not, the Terran responded gravely. But we don't just have capital ships. Do you think we will believe fighters and escorts did this? Another voice demanded. Again, I never said there was one of our ships that did this, the Admiral said. The rest of the responses were drowned out by shouts and questions until the Grand Admiral was forced to mute the rest of the channels in order for the human to continue. Thank you. As I was saying, none of our ships did this directly. He stressed the last word. We did build a number of stealth ships in the past years. These ships were unarmed. Their cargo was not. Admiral Moore's face showed a tight grin. We decided that the fleet of stealth ships couldn't hope to get more than a few shots off in the middle of the battle before being detected. And limpid mine large enough to crack one of those globes couldn't stay undetected for long. So, in the time-honored tradition of my planet, we sent in the marines. The Grand Admiral wasn't sure exactly what sending in the Marines meant and could tell that none of the other Admirals could either. He said as much and the human clarified. At each locust ship we could reach while craft deployed a heavy company, about 300 soldiers in powered armor. Their orders were to infiltrate the battle globes, use maintenance passages to make their way through the QS fields and... Uh, she paused, taking a breath. Detonate a matter conversion warhead. What?! Tusek could no longer remain silent. Why didn't you tell us you were planning on something like this? We honestly didn't know if it would work, she said, somewhat sheepishly. And you can honestly say that you would have fought quite as hard if you knew it was only a matter of time before most of the locust fleet was destroyed. We needed that fighting to mask our presence. And if it hadn't worked this way, the conventional forces could still do the most damage possible. I, for one, would like to meet these brave soldiers. When are they expected to return? I assume they evacuated to the stealth ships. Or did you devise some other means for them to escape? 
The question came from a new voice. Tussock realized then that the rest of the officers had been unmuted for several minutes now. It was only their surprise that had kept him quiet. No, the human replied sadly. I should have been clearer. The men and women in the boarding party set off the warheads as soon as they broke through the QS interference. There was no escape plan, no way to get likely armored soldiers out of range of one petaton detonation in time to make a difference. This revelation shocked the collector species to the core. It was a silent for almost a minute before a voice spoke up. It was the avian two-fussed naval forces admiral again. Ma'am... How did you ever get your conscripts to agree to such a thing? Did you tell them escape would be coming, or some sort of conditioning aura? It was cut off by a derisive snort from Moore. We don't conscript our troops. Every man and woman in my fleet has signed up of their own free will. The ones I sent to the deaths doubly so, volunteering for the mission that they knew that they would never return from. She looked from the screen coldly at the clearly flabbergasted expressions of her fellow admirals. As for why they did it, well, I know many did it to save their families. Some did it for their personal honor. A few signed up simply because they didn't want to disappoint their brothers in arms. But she paused and her face split in an evil grin. I know for a fact that every single one of them did it because we'd rather die on our terms with our knife in some scum sucker's gut than run off to some hole in the other side of the galaxy while our home world burns. Now, if you excuse me, she said, the stunned officers, I have quite a few commendations to sign. I'm sure you understand. And... Of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.